Okay, listen. We are going to talk about Bruno. Disney's Encanto has placed, well, an Encanto over both audiences and critics alike. According to Disney+, Plus, the average viewer has watched the film at least five times. And now Disney's hit movie is going for a trio of Academy Awards, including Best Original Song, Best Original Score, and Best Animated Feature. With the Oscars ceremony taking place this weekend, we're taking a closer look at Encanto. We'll kick things off with a conversation between 1A senior producer Jonquillen Hill and Jermaine Franco and Sharice Castro-Smith, who worked on the film. They join us to talk about representation, the music of Encanto, and their careers. Then we'll hear from Sebastian Yatra, the Colombian singer-songwriter's original song, Dos Oreguitas, recorded for Encanto, has been nominated for an Oscar. He talks to us about his career and life as a Latin pop star. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. A reminder to have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Before the award season began and people refused to talk about Bruno, two of the women putting the music and the film together were already breaking barriers. Jermaine Franco is the first woman to ever score a Disney animated feature, and she joins me now. Jermaine, welcome to 1A. Thank you for having me, Jonquilin. And Sharice Castro-Smith is the first Latina to receive a directing credit on a Disney animated film. Sharice, welcome. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Sharice, when you first started this project, did you think it was going to become this popular? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, I I think all of us really poured our hearts and souls into this movie and really hoped that it would um, connect with families and children and and uh, and that this movie would sort of break barriers for rep- representation on screen. But uh, no, none of us could have possibly anticipated the sort of Encanto mania that has um, <laughs> that has happened. Sharice, I want you to take us back to when you were making this film. What stuck out to you about this story right away? You know, I think the thing that really that I latched onto really immediately when I was starting this project was the idea of one person. Um, feeling really ordinary and unspecial in a family where everyone else was extraordinary or special in some way. And um, just that experience just seems so universal to me, Mm. like just immediately, because I think it's so easy for us to look around and look around at all the amazing people in our families, in our friend circles, and think that they are perfect and that they have their lives all figured out. And we're the only ones that are struggling or have self-doubt. Um, but really it's everyone, you know, everybody has these kind of questions about themselves, about their identity. So, um, I think it was Mirabelle's, uh, experience and her journey towards self-acceptance and self-love. That was the thing that really hooked me into the movie immediately. So uh, before you were, you did this, you were a producer for, um, some very different kind of content. You, um, were a producer for the Netflix show Haunting of Hill House and for the Exorcist TV series, I'm curious, what was it like to go from writing and producing, you know, these horror series and then doing an animated family film for Disney? Sure. You know, they are so different on the surface. But really, I think 
uh, I, I love telling stories that are grounded in relationship and character, um, but then have like, these kind of amazing world building elements to them. So in a way, you know, Haunting of Hill House and Encanto are, are not completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I guess it's like, you know, you're getting into family intergenerational trauma in, in both. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, Jermaine, you also helped with the score for the Pixar movie Coco, which is set in Mexico. And I think it's safe to say is a lot of people's favorite tearjerker Disney film. Let's listen to the song you contributed, Un Poco Loco. It's sung by Anthony Gonzalez and Gael Garcia Bernal. You make me un poco loco, un poquititito loco The way you keep me guessing, I'm nodding and I'm guessing I'll count it as a blessing That I'm only un poco loco Encanto is set in Colombia, which has its own rich musical legacy. How did you approach the sound for Encanto differently from the sound from Coco? Well, thank you for playing that song. It brings back great memories. Uh, yes. Well, one of the differences, obviously, was the location. Because it was in Mexico, um, we, were, we were able to go there and record over 50 musicians in, in Mexico. But during Encanto, we were in the middle of the pandemic. And as much as I wanted to go to Colombia... I was not able to go, which was really difficult for me because I really tried hard thinking, how can I do it? Could I really do it? And I just knew it wasn't practical. So I, what I did was uh, spend a, you know, many, many hours and months just listening to Colombian music and doing my own research. And then also um, I incorporated Colombian instruments into this score, which are quite different than the instruments of Mexico, even though they're similar, their sounds are very different. For example, the harp, uh, there's a, a harp in Veracruz in Mexico that's made differently and sounds different than the harp in Colombia. So I had that built and, and sent to my studio. Also, the guitars are different. There's a tiple and a bandola and a cuatro that are used in Colombia that are not used in Mexico. So even though they seem like they're similar, they are, there are De definite variations in, in sound and texture. And also the rhythms are, are quite different. But one thing that is similar is the cumbia. As you know, cumbia is danced throughout Latin America and the Mexicans have their own version of it. People think that the Mexicans originated the cumbia, but it actually originated in Colombia. And we you decided to use that with Byron and Jaron and Charisse in the score. And Mirabel's uh, theme is actually a cumbia. It's it, that is such an attention to detail. I'm just wondering, how long did that kind of research take? Well, I spent at least four months doing the research. And I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, the pandemic, we were all in our homes anyway. So <laughs> it was, it gave me something to do. And, and then I really, I, as I was discovering more and more Colombian rhythms, I would work on every day. Okay, today I'm going to write a bambuco and tomorrow I'm going to write a bullerengue. And it was really fun to discover the Afro-Colombian rhythms um, from the region of Palenque, the indigenous rhythms, the classical rhythms. And I, so, I also did a lot of reading while I was doing it, reading Gabriel Garcia Marquez in Spanish, Isabel Allende, just try to put myself into that world of magical realism. 
you're the first woman to ever score a Disney animated film. What made you want to become a composer? Well, I was first a performer. I was a musician. I've been playing uh, piano and percussion since I was a, a young girl. And I always improvised at the piano for hours. It was just something I did. I didn't really think I was composing. But then when I went to college, I played in a, a Latin jazz band. And it was to support my my college education. And the more I did it, the more I found that I loved Latin music. So I would write for my band. I would hand write out all the charts. And then through theater, I got into film. I worked in the theater in Houston and in the Los Angeles Theater Center. And then I was offered my first film. So it was through performing and then playing in a band and theater led to film. I I want to get a little bit until into this cultural aspect that, Jermaine, you touched on, and I want to talk to both of you about it. You're both Latina, but you both grew up in different communities with different cultures. Jerice, your family is Cuban, and you grew up in Miami. Jermaine, you grew up in El Paso, Texas, right across from the U.S.-Mexico border, and, and neither of you are Colombian. What made you feel like you could still relate to the story and tell this story? I'll jump in. So um, I, th- I think, you know, yes, I, I was really, as we were writing and developing the movie, I was really very mindful of the fact that it, it's a different culture, you know, like, and so we were really, we had, um, through Disney Animation, we had some really close um, Colombian collaborators on the movie. Juan Rendon and Natalie Osma were two filmmakers who were with us from the very beginning. Uh, They're friends of Byron and Jared, the two other directors of the movie. Um, uh, And so they were uh, with us from the beginning, sort of reading drafts, watching, looking at early character sketches and sort of helping us ground it in that cultural specificity that was Colombian. But that being said, um, you know, there were some elements of this movie that I feel like transcended country and sort Mm -hmm. of spoke to Latinx culture in a broader way. So like, as as I was talking a lot to Natalie and Juan, they told me about this this huge migration that happened uh, at the turn of the century in Colombia that is actually sort of the basis for Abuela Alma's backstory, uh, them having to flee their town and and leave and go to start their lives over. And there's violence that happened in the midst of that. You know, my family also had to leave the country that they were from because of violence. And, mm-hmm. and so I think sort of there are, cultural touchstones of coming to a new place and expectations that you will sort of fulfill the dreams and sacrifices that have been made by your family to Mm -hmm. get you there that felt like sort of a common emotional language and and thematic language uh, for my own background that also kind of was a big part of the film. Jermaine, uh, what about you? I felt that even though I'm not Colombian, because I'm Latina, we share a lot of familiar stories. As as Cherise said, uh, my grandparents had to run from the Mexican Revolution and move to uh, El Paso because they're from northern Mexico. And also we we share the, the similar story of the colonization of the people living in a place. And so also musically, we have a lot of similarities you know, with the the combination of indigenous and African and uh, Spanish rhythms. And I felt that I grew up with that. And even though I wasn't Colombian, that I, as a Latina, I would do my best 
to uh, pay homage to the Colombian culture and, and rhythm and music and the voices, especially the voices of women. Uh, as a woman, I saw that Colombian music is so rich and that the women's voices are very prominent. And there's also groups of women called cantadoras who uh, sing and play their own instruments um, from the area of Palenque. And I wanted to lift those women up. And actually we wound up uh, having Isa Mosquera, who is Afro-Colombiana, and she's a singer with Carlos Vives' band. We recorded 12 uh, choir uh, members at, or session singers, and they performed what, <laughs> through Zoom. I did an eight-hour session. So oh, wow. I felt it was my in, my duty as a, a Latina to really lift up the voices of the Colombian women through my work and and having that experience it was kind of like a, a, a cross-cultural interchange we we met after Carlos Carlos's band came here to LA to perform and after that is when I drove home and said that's what we're missing on this score is the the true Colombian women we you know we can get session singers here in LA but they won't be the same so I I felt like being a woman and Latina prepared me to kind of um, feel the sentiment of a, of a big family, a family that's got lots of emotions. And as you said, there's trauma, there's, you know, every family has their issues. And I think that being a human being, it, you know, that we're artists and artists are allowed to feel what it's like to live in other cultures, as long as we're respectful. And to me, I did my best. And when I had um, you know, Mauro Castillo come up to me, who's Afro-Colombiano, saying, oh, my God, that, you know, Antonio's room. I love that cue. I felt really happy to, to get his feedback. Cherise, Encanto is animated, and, the, and magic is a huge part of this, but it's capturing these really real experiences and these really real traumas. Why was that a thread you wanted to explore in this film? Uh, you know, honestly, from really early on, we knew that the movie was going to be inspired by magical realism. And you sort of can't have magical realism without the real, right? Mm, <laughs> you sort that. of, it needs to be about something true that is then sort of elevated in some in visual, uh, visually sort of made amazing. Um, but it really has to be grounded in truth. And this movie is about family and it's about the joys and the complexities and the hard parts of family. And we really wanted to embrace that and not shy away from it. You were talking earlier about how there is no antagonist in the movie. And that was really intentional because, uh, you know, a lot of times in these family dramas that we, we go through in our own lives, it's not some sort of external force that is exerting pressure on us. It's kind of our own fears, insecurities, pasts that are really driving conflict. And so we wanted to, um, lean into that and and embrace that wholeheartedly and kind of make that the center of our movie. It's so interesting, sort of this theme of, you know, there's no real villain in the movie. Because initially when I watched it, I was like, ooh, Abuela, she is mean. Wow, there goes our villain. But you realize she has, like, she has a reason for acting the way she does. And I think, you know, you get that in a lot of families of color. I just I'm curious how what was it like to portray, you know, these things that aren't normally talked about to a Disney audience? You know, Abuela Alma was one of the hardest characters for us to really um, 
land, I think, as we were going through, we had eight internal development screenings of this movie from over the course of about three years. Um, and every time we would screen the movie, people would either say, a will is too mean, like, I, I can't stand her, or they would say, like, there's not enough sort of pressure, antagonistic force exerting itself on the story. So it was really a balancing act of understanding this woman and understanding sort of that she could be very loving, but that her love for her family was actually sort of causing some pressure and some pain for them and, and understanding why, you know, um, give a ton of credits to our incredible actress who voiced that role, Maria Cecilia Botero, because honestly, when she stepped into it, things really started to lock into place because I think she was able to really capture that warmth and love. So you didn't question that what she was doing was really born out of love and, and a desire to protect her family, but also could see how it was, how it was hurtful and sort of play both sides of that argument. So, you know, I think Maria Cecilia really just shines in that role and, and really makes that role work. So I, I want to get into a little bit of reputation representation outside of the screen. Um, this year, there are at least 10 Latino and Hispanic actors and filmmakers nominated for Oscars. And that's a huge change from years before. It's It's been about six years since the last Latino actor was nominated. How could a movie like Encanto change the representation we see during awards season? Um, Jermaine, I'll start with you. Well, when we were on the red carpet and... Uh, at the premiere, and I, I want to address that. Yes, we want more rep representation of all peoples, you know, the LGBTQ community, the uh, Latinos, Blacks, Asians, Indigenous people, and we're working towards that. And unfortunately, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, and what happened with Encanto, as we were on that red carpet and we, I was standing right behind John Leguizamo and he said, look at us, look at this, look at us. And we were all so happy to be there. The entire cast was Latino and we felt so proud and we felt, you know, that we had achieved something collectively. And that was really important that I, I think our representation isn't going to happen with just one person. It has to happen collectively. And that's why we have important organizations like Array, you know, Ava DuVernay's organization. We have Sundance Institute. You know, so many groups are trying so hard to get there. And by hiring the talent and allowing the the talent, for example, in the music group had uh, Lin-Manuel say he wanted an all Latino team producing the music. So it was Lin-Manuel Miranda, myself and Mike Elizondo. We were the music team. And that was the first. And we felt so we so much responsibility. So we're we're seeing more representation. And I think it comes also through education. We have to educate students. Uh, from an early age to be able to do the work and develop skills. So when they're given the opportunity that they can soar. Sharice, what would it mean to you to receive this Oscar along with your fellow producers and directors? You know, I, I feel like I have the unique perspective of looking at this film and knowing just how many people touched it and how many people really poured themselves into it. You know, like it took our crew was around 800 people. 
like all the different people who touched this movie and um, worked on it, I know just brought their passion and their hearts to it and um, worked so hard on it. So I feel like, you know, if Encanto wins the Academy Award for, for Best Animated Feature, it's a win for everyone, truly, like all the entire cast, uh, all the, the music department, the animators, everyone. So I, I am feeling, I feel like I'm carrying all of them with me right now. And uh, it's, it really is just an amazing thing even to be nominated. So I'm, I'm just grateful. Charisse Castro-Smith is co-director and co-writer of Encanto. The film is also nominated for Best Original Song and Best Animated Feature. Jermaine Franco is the composer of Disney's Encanto. She's up for an Oscar for Best Original Score later this month. Sebastian Yatra has had a big year. The Colombian singer-songwriter's third studio album is called Dharma. It's packed with pop, rock, cumbia, and reggaeton, with features ranging from Daddy Yankee to the Jonas Brothers. Dharma has been streamed over two billion times since its release on January 28th. But Sebastian Yatra's big year doesn't stop there. The original song he recorded for Disney's Encanto, called Dos Oreguitas, has been nominated for an Oscar. We caught up with Sebastian. You may also hear his dog briefly join us. Sebastian, welcome to 1A. Hey, Jen, how are you? You're, you're saying all these things, and I'm, I'm in my head, I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm this person she's talking about? Like, <laughs> It's so crazy, the amount of uh, beautiful things that are happening right now. Uh, with these songs, with this album, Dharma, and of course, with the nomination to the Oscars with Dos Oruguitas, uh, thanks to Disney and Lin-Manuel Miranda and everybody that's been a part of that. So I just feel fortunate. And this is like a huge gift that life and God has given me. I mean, how are you processing this moment, though? There's my dog. Like, <laughs> She's trying to answer. I feel like it's something that you never really i guess process 100 percent. you just gotta enjoy it when i think about it too much it i don't know it's, I, I feel like i've learned in this point in my life to just really just focus on listening to my body mm-hmm. and the sensations i have in it and not think about what they are but just enjoy them and like be completely in the present so I don't like anticipate my feelings and that's why I got I tattooed dharma on my arm because that's the name of the album and it means accepting your reality and living in the present uh through love when you like let go of expectations and let go of you like your fears and let go of like your ego and all these things and that's when you can like live in the present not in the future and in the past through love and through just like every single moment uh having fun with it. Like right now I'm, I'm thinking about the conversation and I'm having with you and I'm enjoying the conversation and I'm not thinking about the Oscars uh, that are going to be uh, March 27th, whether I'm going to be on the stage, whether, what I'm, how I'm going to sing. No, I, I want to think about that in that moment and the nomination in that moment. Hmm. Well, I, I want us to listen to some of Dos Oruguitas uh, right now. Dos Oruguitas Enamoradas Pasan sus noches y madrugadas llenas de hambre Siguen andando y navegando un mundo 
cambia y sigue cambiando Navegando un mundo Que cambia y sigue cambiando Dos oruquitas Paran el viento now, Encanto is one of the biggest movies in the world right now. How did you get tapped to do this song? It's insane. Um, did you know it's the most streamed movie ever on Disney Plus? That's wild. And, and the soundtrack's just blown up like it's being an absolute phenomenon. I think everyone that was a part of the movie, well, we all believed in it a lot, but I think you can never really. Uh, you can never really guess that something this big is going to happen with a movie and it's going to connect in such a special way with kids and the whole family. I actually got called because of a song that I did on Dharma. It's called Adios, which means goodbye. And it's a ballad. Mira si la vida fuera fácil yo tendría mil amores más Y tú seguro tendrías otro que te haga suspirar and that that left me with the, um, the feeling of you you always know where something starts but you never know where it's going to take you and where it's going to going to end and that just started with a very real emotion where i interpreted the song and lin manuel and disney they heard it and they were like wow this is the voice that we want to sing those oruguitas like we want that feeling in our song uh, for the movie in that part. And my manager calls me and she's like, hey, Sebastian, uh, they're calling me from Disney, Lin-Manuel and his team about, you know, this movie they're doing about Colombia and Canto. And I'm like, I didn't even let her finish the sentence. I'm like, yes, yes, whatever they say, yes. Even if we don't get paid, whatever, I don't care. Just <laughs> say yes. <laughs> I wanted to be what, what? Of, I wanted. Well, why was the yes so emphatic? Why, why did you have that like gut? Absolutely, no matter what. No matter what, because... You know how crazy it is as a Colombian that they're making a Disney movie about your country? Like, of course, being being from the U.S., I mean, I grew up in the U.S. and I'm a U.S. citizen and everything. But it, growing up in the U.S., like Disney is from the U.S., you know, like you're used to having movies made about your culture all the time. But as a Colombian, it's like, wow, out of all the countries in the world, Disney decided to make their 60th animated feature film about Colombia and I had found out about that like six or seven months before because they announced like they put like this mini trailer on Instagram where you see the house and everyone in Colombia went crazy. And I'm like, oh, my God, I would love to be in that movie just because I've done voiceovers before for I did like Klaus for Netflix. I did the voice for the main character in Spanish and also this movie uh, Smallfoot. I also did the main character and I really loved doing voiceover. So I was like, I hope they call me or something and or I can talk to somebody there so I can do like one of the one of the characters or something. Uh, and so when they called, it was like, whatever they wanted for the movie, I was going to be in 100%. It's interesting because this is a song in Spanish, but it's so popular globally. And when I heard it the first time watching, watching the film, there is such emotion and such yearning that you, you feel it, even if you don't understand the lyrics and just explain the the process of recording this song for you through that through that emotional place where you're communicating with audiences who may not actually know know what the lyrics are yeah, saying um i'm such an emotional person Jen. um so i guess that's been like my gift it's like a gift but it can also be a curse in the sense that you feel everything so strongly 
Um, but, you know, I've been learning to manage that part of it. Uh, but as a songwriter and as a, and as a singer, it's given me the opportunity to like really connect with people and understand emotions. Once I'm singing the song already, like, like singing something and like really letting my instinct and my heart tell me, tell me like, wow, that melody or that lyrics in specific, like it just cuts through my soul. Like that's what I want. And as a songwriter, that's always been happening. Um, well, that's been happening in the past years. And for those Oruguitas, like I wanted to put a little bit of that into into the song of course um of course while listening to what disney wanted and what lin-manuel wanted and it was a huge team effort we went to capitol studios in in los angeles we recorded the version in spanish and in english to oruguitas and then then they were going to make a decision whether the song was going to be played in spanish around the world or the english version was going to be played around the world and the spanish one just for for uh latin speaking world and there was such emotion in the Spanish version already that they decided it for it to be the first um, span song in another, like in Spanish that, that plays in the Disney movie all over the world, like in China, Russia and everywhere. And it was, I think it was because we paid so much attention to each and every one of the words. I recorded the song about what, like a hundred times and I was watching the whole scene. Um, so little by little, we got into that emotion of not being myself anymore. And I was actually just Abuelo Pedro talking to his wife that he had left behind because he went into another realm and he died and that, that life separated them. But she, she was there with his, his babies and the whole family. And it's like that love that's so unconditional and him speaking that way. It was also like easy for me to connect because since I'm Colombian, I would see the images and I was just connecting with my grandparents and my parents and my family and my people and our colors and the things we've been through as a country uh, through war and and a lot of different problems that we've had in Colombia. But the fact that we've overcome them and that is represented for me as an individual in being in Los Angeles, recording the song for a Disney movie about Colombia and about its magic and its culture, uh, that just like, you know, uh, if you don't get excited and deep in your emotions to sing a song there, you're, it's never going to happen. Well, you've been nominated for eight Latin Grammy Awards. You've won two Latin American Music Awards. You're also one of the most popular Latin American artists. I mean, what do you think of that that label, Latin pop star uh i think it's cool <laughs> of course <laughs> i mean if you want to be a singer and when you grow up they call you a pop star and you don't think it's cool i mean you're in the wrong business i was talking to a friend um earlier this week and we were talking about our respective careers and he said i always i always wonder i think about what i would tell my grandparents or my great-grandparents about my life about what I do for a living. And I'm thinking about your connection to Encanto and how that story is about these generational relationships. What would you say to your grandparents or your great-grandparents about what life is like for you, about your music career, about your singing? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I'd be very happy to talk to them. You know, all my grandparents uh, passed away. Um, and I'd probably, I'd probably sing them a song. I think it'd be the easiest way to make them understand what it is for me. 
and how I feel it. And I'd probably sing him a song that hasn't come out yet. I actually wrote this beautiful song um, in Argentina a couple of weeks ago, like a month ago. I would love to hear just a line or two, even of just the lyrics of that song, if you can call it to mind. Well, basically, it does reference to, to Juan Luis Guerra. And it says, Si yo pudiera ser para siempre lo que fuera, sería un pez para vivir en tu pecera. Um, and it does reference to one of my favorite songwriters. And just like, it's, people have heard this beautiful song of his, like, Quisiera ser un pez para en tu pecera, y hacer burbujas de amor por donde fuera. And he's basically expressing like a very intimate way of love with somebody. And I'm just doing like a reference of it in the song. And I think that was, that was really cool. But uh, yeah, I, I don't want to sing the melody just yet. <laughs> well, we will look forward to hearing more from you. That's Sebastian Yatra. His new album is called Dharma. Sebastian, it's been great speaking with you. Thank you so much. God bless you. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A.